Welcome travelers. I'm Josh. I'm Glenn. And I'm Lee Wanika. And this is Tabletop Journeys, where we will be your not-so-humble guides on the quest for RPG adventures. Here at Tabletop Journeys, we are all devoted role players and storytellers at heart, and we absolutely love sharing our passion with you. On our show, we feature diverse tabletop RPG systems, demonstrating them through actual plays and breaking down the rules to provide you with tips, tools, and techniques to help you navigate them. We also love bringing the content creators behind these games into the studio to give you a peek behind the curtain with relevant and insightful interviews. Let us help you get the most out of your story, no matter what game world or system you're playing. Because detailed settings, heroic characters, diverse NPCs, and a focus on story over rules can make any campaign legendary. Here's a message from friends of the show. In a world headed for disaster, five strangers with mysterious pasts are thrown together by the winds of fate to try to stop the unseen forces that threaten to destroy their world. Join Creval, a dragonborn with no memory and no past, who is the first of the barbarians of the mountains to be seen in a thousand years. Cotter, a penniless paladin, running from something or someone in his past. No one, the only tiefling monk the kingdom has ever seen, who has been expelled from his monastery for reasons he has not revealed. Adri, his monastic companion who hides some deep dark secret she cannot reveal. And Arlen, once a simple farmer, until some mysterious event manifested sorcerous powers in him. They must travel the length and breadth of the kingdom of Faro, searching for the disparate clues that will help them unravel the mystery of the failing of their land, while trying to hold together the unraveling threads of society's weave threatening to come apart at any moment. They will have to battle nature, plague, politics, and even the forces of the underworld as they attempt to discover and defeat whoever, or whatever, is attempting to poison their world and throw it into chaos. Relic of the Past is a novel-length story told via a clean, custom, 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons game. Find us on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever fine podcasts are found, and at poolmedia.podbean.com. Welcome, everybody, to today's episode. I'm really excited to be getting back into uh, another interview again. It's been a while since we've had someone join us on the show today. But before we introduce them, Mr. Myers, Mr. Mueller, good evening. Uh, how are things, Mr. Myers, wherever you happen to be this evening? Connecticut. Oh, that's right. You haven't left Connecticut yet. That's right. Yeah, yeah we'll yeah. be here till the end of November now. We actually okay. extended a little bit. We were not coming back after a catacon. We were going to mm-hmm. go mm-hmm. Come, head for Virginia Beach then, but we decided to come back up and stay through Thanksgiving since we're not going to be here for Christmas. Nice. Aww. Nice. Aww. That's, yeah, that's, so how about you, Mr. Miller? How are you doing? I'm doing quite well. It's been a busy week. We had our big end of summer family barbecue bash this past weekend, which, which was, was fun. Awesome. Awesome. 
great food. I, if I do say so myself, I cooked a lot of it. Great Everything music. Modest, great, yeah. uh, pastrami was good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, new recipes on the homemade pastrami. I, I was very pleased. I did some singing, had a good time with that. And we had a good friend of mine from my Monday night home game, Stephen. He came by with uh, boffer swords and did some demos and let some of the older kids goof around. Even some of the younger kids goof around with some boffer swords and some sword play. Gave him. It wasn't a serious class, but it was have some fun banging sticks, and uh, <laughs> it was a good time. It was yeah. a great time. Uh, so they're padded that. sticks, right? Yeah, and they're padded sticks. It's yeah. better than the ones that Glenn and I scarred ourselves up with. I was gonna say you can't do any real damage with those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. L- lies. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, as, so, I mean, as as well as the barbecue, and as much as we want to go ahead and continue here about about the various meats that were served. Of course, in Tabletop Journeys news, big update for today. I'm so we're recording this a week in advance, but. I can almost guarantee that by the time people are hearing this, I probably have not been sleeping for the last 24 hours because our second Kickstarter for book number four launched yesterday. Hopefully it is all over social media that we funded in 37 minutes or whatever, whatever record-breaking. You for your part in that. (laughs) Exactly. And if you haven't had the chance to back yet, make sure you look up The Traveler's Guide to Factions on Kickstarter right now and get in on the action. Uh, plenty of information. If you're curious what's in the Traveler's Guide to Factions, make sure you listen to last week's episode. We went through all the content on the show here. And believe it or not, last week's episode is about the Traveler's Guide to Factions. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I got to say it one more time. As one does. As one does. As one does. Exactly. Yeah. Speaking of Kickstarter, uh, tonight, let's go ahead and bring in tonight's guest, who by the time the episode airs, you will have just launched your Kickstarter campaign uh, for Eye of Everywhere. Uh, Mr. Alan Tucker, thank you very much for joining us on Tabletop Journeys. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. So for folks that aren't familiar with uh, the work that you're putting out there uh, and everything, give the rundown as far as uh, who, who you are and the work that you've been doing. Sure. I've been writing. I started out writing novels in 2009 or so, published a few of those, and then after becoming an empty nester, decided to get back into my old hobbies that I hadn't hadn't done for about 25 years or so and got into <laughs> back into 5th edition and some other tabletop games and decided to start creating stuff for that. Began with some things on the DMs Guild, I think, in 2017 and have had participated in a number of projects since then, either by myself or with a whole host of other folks. Things like Artifacts on the Guild was one of the first big ones that we did. And I've done, I've led several projects here recently, Incredible Creatures, Incredible Items. Just got done early this year with Apocalypse, the complete uh, GM's guide to ending your world. (laughs) That (laughs) That sounds fun, yeah. I had a, a ton of terrific people work on that, and now we're doing this new project, which actually I've been working on for probably close to five years, <laughs> called The Eye of Everywhere, and it is ready to add some sci-fi spice to your fantasy for either 5th edition or Pathfinder 2nd edition. Cool. Okay. Excellent. It sounds fascinating, and I can't wait to dive in here a little bit to go ahead and, and see what's in here. Per the course, gentlemen, D20s to the ready. Let's get initiative rolled. And oh, see yes, we must first. roll initiative to see who goes first. Got my, my nice silicon fan roll dice out here, cracking out here. I love these because they don't make that like annoying clacky-clack sound when you roll it. Like, everyone thinks that when you're on an actual play that like the clacky-clack sound is going to sound great, and it's awful. It's awful. Right. So. If it's on a hard surface like wood, yeah, it is. It's yeah. jarring and sharp. It's jarring. It's just, yeah. As, as the audio engineer in the group, I can tell you, it's all, it's horrible. So. <laughs> I've uh, got a 12, gentlemen. 
Uh, 16. 17 for me. Oh, wow, Josh is going first on the All 17. Right, so I'm scooping Glenn. All right. So, Alan, the first thing I wanted to dive into was you said that you came to tabletop role-playing game writing with a background as a novelist, that you posted a couple of novels in the last few years and everything like that. So I wanted to talk about how you get into your tabletop role-playing game content. What is your kind of world-building process? Do you start with stories that you want to tell or characters that you want to write about? Or do you start like on the setting side and start start big and work small or start small and work big? Or is it somewhere in, the, in between? Oh, boy, that's a good question. I would have to say I've probably done all of the above at one time or another. Sure, yeah. It depends. World-building, I probably do more of a macro approach to that first just to because i think it's important to be to have a lot of consistency in your like in your magic system and and other just all of those big things that we have to do with world building but if i'm just getting ready to do a campaign for a group i want to fo- really focus on character at that point and the story that that we want to try to tell Cool. Yeah, I realize that's probably one of those questions that any writer goes whatever different direction based on what they're feeling at that particular time. So yeah, I... uh I saw Glenn, I saw you raising your hand when you were when he was saying that too. That I'm sure that as the other kind of like more formal writer in the group, you've probably gone both directions on that also, right? I've attacked the problem from all three directions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Micro, macro, and in between. Absolutely. In between. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It really depends yeah. on where your starting inspiration is. Yeah. If I start out envisioning this landscape kingdom kind of place, I'm probably gonna start macro. But if I start out with just like a prophecy centered around a single object and the world builds up from there. That can happen too. Yeah. Yep. Oftentimes I'll look at the, whatever the ending is that I want. If I have an ending in mind Mm. for either a story or campaign or or something like that, then that's, that may be ironically the starting point of how you go through and and build everything. Yep. So I tend to be a little start with the micro and build to the macro. I tend to get there quickly, but generally the things that inspire me to start a writing about a group or an event or a project is an individual scene. Sometimes it's a character interaction. Sometimes it's different things, but honestly, it's usually just the environment. Encounter maps on Pinterest are huge sources of inspiration for me. I literally envision action in a scene. I used to tell people all the time, one of the coolest things that I've ever done for my writing process was take a walk through a place I've never been. Doesn't matter whether it's a natural environment or a mall or some city or just some random building, uh, libraries and all of those old buildings like the Thomas Crane Library in Quincy, Massachusetts. It's one of my favorite pieces of architecture. Some of the old fortresses and various places in New England. I literally walk in there and all of a sudden my mind immediately says, I can see X fighting Y here. Or I can see the big dramatic scene between the king and the knave here. I just picture those events. Then what do I have to do to build to that kind of scene? And then I'm off to the races. I tend to start on that micro level. But then I get large very well because as soon as you say king and the knave, you can't say the word king without having a kingdom. So it's get the scene, 
jump to the macro, then build back in and to fill in the gaps yeah. and make sure it all makes sense. It's kind of- I think I'm almost exclusively a middle of the road because almost everything that I write starts with the through with the thread of the story in between it. And then I'm affixing pieces on the arc as I need them. If hero goes to the kingdom, then yeah, then the kingdom is necessary. But what does the journey require? What's the horse's name? What's the road that they're on? What's the train that they're in? Who are the hero's friends? You know, all that sort of thing. So I'm very much, I'm letting the story dictate whether I need to go bigger or smaller from there. I thought he was going to scoop me with the softball first question, but he didn't. <laughs> no, no, so I'm going to give you the softball first question of your upcoming Kickstarter, which is what we're here to talk about, is called The Eye of Everywhere. And I've been going through the documents that you sent to us, and I am intrigued and fascinated. I got to say, I love blending technology and magic together. I actually did a big thing in Rifts of creating a larger techno magic system. I think all of that is fantastic. The environment or the setting in which the eye exists, it smacks of the restaurant at the end of the universe, plus Sigil, plus a number of other places, except you actually have one portal that can be controlled as opposed to a gazillion portals. So it very much creates that you can go anywhere, you can do anything, jumping off point or hub for adventure. But those are my words. So my question is, would you give us your words? Talk to us about what the eye of everywhere is, what the project encompasses and what it means to you. You bet. It, like you said, the eye itself is a giant portal and there are, um, creatures and, and vehicles and uh, things come going in and out all the time. And it is controlled by a group of entities called the wardens. And they have a means to encode the destination. When you go through the portal, you are encoded with a destination and that you're going to. It can literally send you anywhere in the multiverse. The portal itself is a giant ball, basically, about 200 feet across. And around it is a planar disk, which has a city on both sides. So as you around the portal itself is zero gravity. And then as you get to the inside edge of that disk, gravity will establish depending on which side you happen to be on. And so there's buildings on, on one side, there appear to be if they're going down and then on the other side going up, etc. But And then they're within that city called Scalera is a number of factions, which you guys are going to be <laughs> quite familiar with at this point. We've been, we've been um, living in faction world, yes. <laughs> yes. I, I got a, questions on that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a dozen there's a dozen of those in total that are all sanctioned by the wardens and within the city, of course, commerce and and everything else happens, politics, etc. For the campaigns that I've run with this, I've used it more as a as an adventure hub where the parties will come and then they'll, they may work for, there's a faction called the Abettors League, which is basically a group of mercenaries that work throughout the multiverse. And so uh, one easy way to, to set up campaigns there is to have the group work for the Abettors League and they get sent on missions across the multiverse. I've had games where 
one session we had, I had them going through, they were searching a wizard's tower for a particular book that had been stolen from the Institute, which is another one of those the factions, and they're a repository of knowledge. And then the next week, they were sent to a space station and were fighting off an invading alien army. And so it is just anything goes. <laughs> and it has been a tremendous amount of fun. The players have loved it just for the variety's sake. And that to me is the crux of the whole thing is just being able to do anything and in, in, in everything when you want to. I love it. It speaks directly to my Rift's heart because one of the things I loved about the Rift's universe is it's the first world I ran across where anything was possible. It was so genre blending. And I really like when people take games and make them like that, where you could be anything you want. You could be a space marine or a wizard of old. And I think that's really groovy. Absolutely. I love the idea of an adventure hub, especially for newer storytellers and GMs and DMs. One of the hardest things to do is how do I string together this massive campaign if I don't want to buy thick book X with with railroads and guidelines Y through Z. One of the easiest answers is have a setting that has some innate nature, some innate story and plot threads that you can pull on when you're there, but go ahead and step outside of that. You've got a, a party that can do this to get started. They run a couple missions in the local neighborhood. They get picked up by the Abettors League. And now it's, you can go anywhere. You can literally buy a simple module off of DM's Guild or drive through that's in Forgotten Realms and just run it. You could then buy a Starfinder module if you're playing the Pathfinder rules and run that. You can buy any 5e compatible adventure and these abettors have just gone there and as a storyteller you can decide go with the gear you've already had or you could treat it more like a uh, federation kind of thing look you got to go in there and pretend to be like the locals so if they only use uh, these types of things when you drop into that world you only use those type of things yeah. other than your communicator and your coded thing so you can get back we'll pick you up at such and such a time so you just build in the clock so now they can't be wandering around aimlessly you literally have x amount of days to finish the mission and get back to a very specific point and yeah. the tension is all of the things that go into getting back to that point. It, it, it can, it's all at once, all those great 80s television shows we used to know and love, Quantum Leap and Journeyman and all of those types of things, all in one thing. And you can do a different kind of game every session. I wish there was more of that when I was a novice because you had to figure it out as you were going. Recently, something that Wizards did well with Journey to the Radiant Citadel, they did it well with the Candlekeep Mysteries. They famously did it poorly with the Strixhaven book and Spelljammer. Like that's so, they like, they have tried this model a couple times with success in both directions. And so we're like, we loved the Candlekeep book and Journey to the Radiant Citadel was fabulous. And Strixhaven was not awful <laughs> i was going to say decidedly not but okay decidedly not yeah, yeah. <laughs> cool. sticking with the positive i just love the ability to say use this for any kind of game you want to run yeah. at your table here's a template knock yourselves out and while you're at it share some great stories because it just leaves yeah, so much room for me. creativity 
Yeah. yeah, exactly. If you don't have a long-term story thread in mind, but you want to get started playing something, like you say, you can have these guys go do this in the Forgotten Realms or go do this on Galarian if you're, you want to play Pathfinder. And then you come back and having those games then or those two or three sessions maybe that you that they go and they do these missions that then you might be able to start picking some of those threads and say, hey, you know what? This was really cool. Let's bring this back and and tie it in later on. And, and maybe somebody they fought got away and you can say, ah, okay, let's bring them back later. And, and it, it, it just, it lends itself to that. And also speaking along a kind of a West Marches type of thing, this is perfect for that as well. Mm-hmm. If you want to have multiple GMs, you can have this is your hub and then they can run anything they want to out, out of that it's again just that that's that flexibility is really what i wanted it to begin with and i just love the mixing of the peanut butter and the chocolate and it's it's just uh, tremendous fun so the removal of limitations you don't usually think of a genre as a limitation but it is if you're playing high fantasy that's a limitation on where your game can go right Speaking about where all the things can go, that kind of brings me to my first question. Looking through your history and your catalog, which is vast, I saw somewhere upwards of 30-plus titles on the DMs Guild and a vast array of titles there. Somebody could literally take this and just play from the titles you have and run multiple campaigns from. I I think we should be clear about that. You are prolific on, uh, on on the DMs Guild, as far as I'm concerned. Really good stuff is there. Some stuff that during the research for this episode, I'm like, man, I wish I'd come across this a little earlier. I now have another list to, to add to the wish list so I can start picking up a few things because I really like what I've seen there. Thank you. Yeah. But so to my question, it is about that history and about that catalog. Going through your entire catalog, like what are some of the titles that you've worked on, projects you've worked on or spearheaded that our audience could look to say, this is my style. This is an example of the style you're going to find in, in this Kickstarter. And by the way, just based on the nature of this Kickstarter, it'll fit so that they have they can say, oh, "Okay, I got it. I know what Alan is all about. I love this, and let's jump in. I'm going to get this, but now I can play these other things, and maybe I'm playing a party that's trying to find the Eye of Everywhere while it's being produced, and so they can actually get to a given level, and then when the book drops, they just move right from one of your titles into this. Like, wh- wh- where do they go to find that through line? Oh boy, that's a good question. I did, I started out, some of the early stuff that I did are really just would work well actually with those. There, there's a, there are a lot of one-shot type of adventures that I actually, several of them I wrote for a West Marches campaign that I was helping to run right after I got back into the hobby. I've got a couple of low mid-level fifth to seventh type of things with with some mind flayers which are quite popular right now (laughs) (laughs) and and a couple of other one one in particular called still waters i think in fact might have been the first thing i did that has an aboleth in it and that will feature interestingly if you look at the cover of the game master's guide you can get an idea of where that might be going um along that that happens to be spoilers on the that cover one of the wardens that is a warden 
and I had I had that piece of art was was done by Eduardo Comitant, and he did just a fantastic job bringing the idea that I had the, for that to life. Honestly, the adventure I'm probably most proud of and happy with is actually a higher level one. It's more for I think it's 11 to 14. I have on the guide, but it's called Elves in Pink, which was my homage to Men in Black. And, um, <laughs> oh, bear with me just a moment. I got to revel in that loveliness right now for just a moment. That is glorious. Please continue. <laughs> but yeah, so you in in that adventure, you meet up with K and J, who are two members of the Elves in Pink, a secret society that that regulates magic throughout the universe. And they have, they've had a problem at their home base and they need your help to be able to take care of it. Nice. I, I really had a lot of fun writing that. And it's one I wish more people had glommed onto and been able to see. It is, like I said, it is a little higher level, which isn't as popular, of course, but mm. it was fun. That is fun. Nice. That sounds cool. I really do the concept. Actually, one of the ones I had put on my wish list was uh, Stillwater Sushi or Steak uh, because I like the concept of uh, Freshwater Saga. I just thought that was a pretty good one. And the title just grabbed me because if nothing else, there's two of my favorite things in the world is sushi and steak. You had me at go. I'm like, where's my wasabi and and horseradish? Actually, wasabi is horseradish, but I'll get both kinds. So so I'm ready ready (laughs) for it, but. Uh, yeah, thank you. I love love talking with authors who have had a lot of time in their craft and the types of things that they've worked on and seeing that connective tissue, as Josh likes to say all the time, between their hmm. projects and seeing those evolutions. It's a wonderful thing as a fellow content creator, seeing how other people make those transition always is gratifying because it also helps me figure out what's my next thing because nobody wants to repeat themselves. But we are us, right? We are who we are. There will always be those connections. But when you somehow when you know about what those are, it just makes it a little bit better. So thank you. You bet. Live on Kickstarter now, our next book, The Traveler's Guide to Factions, will add depth to your world setting or character's backstory, bringing you all the tools you need to make your next role legendary. Our nine fully detailed factions can be used in any campaign and can be tailored to fit multiple genres and time periods. The system agnostic lore takes you deep into the foundations of each faction and provides guidance on how to seamlessly integrate them into your game system and society. Plus, the book includes an entire chapter containing all the tips, tricks, and processes you need to craft your own factions. Combine all that with the amazing art that we have commissioned and the additional content from our stretch goals, Traveler's Guide to Factions will be a book you don't want to miss. Check it out on Kickstarter now by going to www.ttjourneys.com slash kickstarter. I guess that brings us to round two. D20s to the ready. Big money, big money. No whammies. 18. Yeah. Man, I'm That's in a, a seven rut. For me. I'm out of what 12. I, I'm okay, out of 12 so again. You get to go second this time at least. Yeah, at least I'm so. moving up. So. <laughs> to the east side. 
<laughs> All right, apartments yeah, right. in the sky. <laughs> okay, let's go. You didn't have enough pie at the barbecue? Was it? There was not pie at the barbecue this year. How was there you not know, pie there at the barbecue? Not. Not. No pie. Hmm. It's very sad. As you can see, Alan, we're a distractible lot. So that, that's yeah. you know, <laughs> seventy-five yeah. pounds of pastrami, though. I think mm, I made up for fair. the pie. That's right. <laughs> All right, let's, let's save us from the morass. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I get to lead off this question and salvage us back onto topic here. So, Alan, for my next trick, I really want to find a way to talk to you about factions. And it's going to come apart in weird little bits as I go, but that's okay. Because you have one, two, you have a bunch. You probably know a number. I'm not going to There's a dozen, yeah. You've got 12 factions that have divided up the city on the ring surrounding the eye, complete with a map for territory and everything, which makes total sense because especially with so many people from so many places in the world, it's going to draw all kinds. And as everybody knows by now, we're getting ready to launch our own Kickstarter that's featuring factions and We've learned a lot as we're going through and we're trying to (laughs) weave them together and find sources of inspiration. And you've created 12 that fit together within a social dichotomy. Could you talk to us about the factions and how they interrelate to make up the dichotomy of the society, whether or not, and also whether or not you have a favorite faction or a really favored faction interaction or even if it's a faction conflict sure, give us some yeah. faction tales okay there the factions actually are where i brought in more of the outside writers to do the real details on those i've i've had i had the initial character as it were i look at factions as a character honestly to start with mm-hmm. they they require motivations, goals, all of those sorts of things to, to make them really tick. And But I brought in uh, several other writers to flesh those out. I said, here's the skeleton, give me the rest. And they did a terrific job. I've got Sen HHS, who recently was one of the cover writers for Rage of Elements for Pathfinder that just came out. Um, Kirsty Kidd as uh, a author I've worked with several times on other projects and she's just fabulous. She does has an amazing imagination, does wonderful things. Micah Watt has a bunch of stuff on the DMs Guild and they were really instrumental in, in helping me out with that. But as far as some of those interactions and favorites go, like I said before, the Abettors League is a really good starting point for to jump in easy because mercenaries are always needed. Somebody's always at waging war somewhere or needs something done that they need to hire out. And they're always hiring because they're people, you know, they lose. And they're always hiring because you your employee turnover is sometimes a little high. <laughs> there attrition. Are, there's a lot of attrition. It's like a call yes. <laughs> there's, there's one called the Axiom Organica who believe that biology is the answer to everything. They eschew technology of any kind. They have living computers, living ships, things like that. Anything that you can do with technology, they feel like you can also accomplish with biology. And so that's what they do. Oh. A lot of their, a lot of the time, their, their experiments 
don't go as planned and they have to do a lot of iterations on things in order to get them where they want. So um, those can be a problem as well. The halls of commerce is another one that's very, very easy to make, get adventures out of just because there are uh, a ton of corporations that have glommed together and they are always fighting with each other to be part of what's called the stack is how they govern each other within that group. And net worth is how positions in the stack are decided. There's always a lot of interplay going on there. The envoys of sagacity are a society of inorganic intelligences. And you can, in fact, play what's called a tech int, which is a autonomous robot, essentially, but they're an inorganic intelligence we have that as one of the playable ancestries or species in the setting. And so they are um, often at odds with the Axiom Organica because they are the antithesis of biology. The Institute is a repository of knowledge. It's just a vast uh, library. If you've ever been in a, a used bookstore that was that's been converted old house, I know I've been in several of those where you, there's just each room has got the used books in there. And that's what the Institute is only on a much grander scale. And they are constantly reimagining how they can categorize and catalog the, the vast amounts of knowledge that they have. So everything is always in flux because there's always somebody that has a better idea of how we could organize all of this stuff. I've got the void, which is a, it's almost like a cult because if you get sent through the portal, through the eye without a code, it sends you somewhere random in the multiverse. So that is, that's, that's often terrifying. used as a punishment, <laughs> uh, it, like exile on steroids, I guess you would say. So in, in most, by far most cases, any place you might end up is probably in the middle of space, which you're not going to last for very long. But occasionally people will get sent through without a code and make be able to make it back. And the leader of the void is one of those people. The Legion of Entropy is just that. They are a group that is just, they're looking to end the multiverse <laughs> as we know it. That's their, that's their goal. Obviously there's several more, but yeah, it's nice. it'd be hard to, to pick a favorite, but <laughs> nice. a, the interplay and, and also in, in the, the player's guide, you'll see each little review of the factions has a rumor in it that the players or the characters will hear. And there's, like I said, there's one of those for each faction that the characters can hear and they could lead to interesting <laughs> choices, et cetera, for all the players. Yeah. The rumors were super cool. The, was it the, the, the followers of Sagacity and the Sagac the rumor about Sagacity is, was that there's actually a robot or I'm trying to remember the. That it's a supercomputer controlled by super the wardens. That, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Which so, may or may not be true. It's again, it's a rumor. Yeah, Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> cool. I liked your bookstore, used bookstore analogy for the Institute because I happen to live near a local landmark called the Book Barn, mm -hmm. mind you, and any slime. And it's one house that's huge already, and then it expanded. So now it's literally a house, a barn, six different sheds. Hmm. 
and it, everything's just spread out everywhere. They've expanded now too. They've got a storefront downtown, midtown. There's four locations, and it's yeah. all one giant rotating inventory. It's insane. It, it, what's yeah. really cool is it like if if you like a specific type of genre, you'll tend to go to that one of those spots for that because they'll keep that one thing in that spot. For the longest time, I went Tarzan novels and John Carter from Mars, that type of thing. Those pulp novels when they're in the old black covers with the Frazetta covers on them, Conan. The fact is sometimes it's just cool to walk around and see something that caught your eye something that you wouldn't even think about like that's a cool looking knickknack on a shelf and then there's this cool book next to it that kind of thing i love (laughs) that concept of how to find things and especially when you're talking about literature it's an amazing concept and being able to put something like that in your thought processes and how you're constructing a group it just has so many game great game potentials and npc potentials like i could see a caretaker for it well, might as well roll right into your question, Lunica. Yeah, so I had a couple questions, but I'm always worried about my co-host scooping me, so I'm going to jump right to <laughs> uh, my good one. I, I What's odd is I would wager that they might not have actually gotten to this question. There's jump too much good stuff here. to talk about in this book. I think the odds of us scooping each other this time around are pretty slim, actually. There's a lot of really great stuff in <laughs> a this book. A little bit. So. I, one of these two questions, the one I'm skipping or this one, was the one that would be scooped. We'll find out which later on. But So the question here is psionics. Traditionally, psionics has been the toughest nut to crack in any TTRPG. Left this one alone because I knew one of you two would want it. It was, <laughs> it's always been the gold standard. Like, who can do this well? And generally speaking, there's always some element that everybody does well, but the rest of it's trash, right? Or the rest of it's not good. So, knowing that difficulty and seeing that you've done it, my question is give us a clue as to how you've pulled this together. What were some of the things you felt you had to bring to light through psionics? The things that you just really wanted to be there. Just as importantly, what are the things you felt you had to put in? It wouldn't count. It wouldn't be good if I didn't have this. Also, what were some of the things that you were like, I never want to see this in psionics again. I am so glad I'm writing it. So this can't be part of psionics for this game. (laughs) Some strong feelings there, just so you know. Yeah. I started off, I mean, I had a pretty lofty goal with it was that I really wanted anyone to be able to to take or to make a character from, we've got all so many pop culture examples of this sort of thing. Recently, of course, we've got Eleven with Stranger Things, even to Out to Jedi. To me, they are psionic warriors that's what they're mental mental warriors and even in going back to older stuff scanners that that old movie if anybody remembers that one but we are gentlemen of, of an them, age Alan. i started playing this game when dinosaurs walked the earth so it's mm, not yep, I, I, yep. <laughs> we'll get that out of the way the really the one commonality that i came across with all of them was that the powers Yes, they come from your mind, but it's more of a whole body experience. In other words, that every time you see a some sort of psionicist, they are straining and it's it causes a tremendous amount of stress in their body to be able to do the things that they do. 
Look at Yoda after he's moved the X-Wing in Empire Strikes Back. He's exhausted and, again, with Eleven, has got the nosebleeds and all of it. Everything that happens, these are it takes a toll on their body as well. So that was the concept I really went in with and also deciding that uh, a constitution-based class for both 5e and um, pathfinder was really where i wanted to go because it was something that really hadn't been explored that much that was really where i wanted to explore and get to we have there's a table when you're creating your character that you choose a physical manifestation of what happens when you use your powers so if you wanted to have the nosebleeds like 11 you could have maybe veins pop out on your head or maybe your eyes turn a different color or they glow or there's several different options and you or you can come up with your own to do that so there's that storytelling element there as to how, how your character uh, manifests these abilities then i came up with the stress mechanic where you can, you do not have spell slots, There, none of that. You can use your talents, your abilities, as many times as you're willing to. And eventually, once you have a amount of stress that you can take, that's called, the limit of that is called your stress threshold. And once you have passed that, then you start eating away at your own hit points. As long as you're willing to keep doing that, you can keep using your abilities. So it's a real give and take. This class is not for the risk averse. <laughs> so you're if you're not willing to take some chances with your own life or livelihood <laughs> as a character is this class probably isn't for you, but that's really where I wanted to go with it was the, to that get that feeling of this is using your essence to be able to manifest these powers, these abilities. Luanika and I were actually... I said that was absolutely perfect. Uh, Uh, Luanika and I were talking just the other day about a, for 5e, specifically for Dragonlance, a constitution-based spellcaster, a la Raceland Majeri. All magic users in Kryn kind of put their own essence into their spells, and it gets away at them like that. Yeah, that's a really cool concept. I have a follow-up, if you don't mind, (laughs) because I've did leave psionics and the scion class alone because I knew one of you two would want to talk about it. <laughs> um, but I did find the stress and the stress threshold mechanic really neat. And I liked the idea of being able to continue to dig deeper and go through your hit points. The one thing it left me wondering, because I did not take the time to try to do the math to figure it out, was how does your stress threshold and the way that it's calculated, which is con modifier plus proficiency bonus plus level as a total number of points versus the cost of the spells. How does that compare with a traditional magic user? Can they get about the same number of spells out that a wizard can, as an example, before they're eating into their own hit points? No. And that was by design because because your primary ability is constitution, you're going to be having more hit points than a typical caster anyway Mm -hmm. so the stress threshold obviously like i said it it increases as you go up in level if you take a look at 
say, a, a 20th level traditional caster, and if you take all of the levels, spell levels as points and, mm-hmm. and slots, etc., I think it comes out to 88, if I remember right, something like that. Mm-hmm. Whereas, so if you say a, a ninth level spell is nine points, you have one of those, you have et cetera, blah, blah, blah. And so uh, obviously your stress threshold at 20th level is not going to be anywhere near 88. That's going to be like 31. But, yeah. but you will, again, you will have quite a few more hit points than that traditional wizard caster. And I expect people who are playing with feats, they're going to game this, of course, and they're going to join and take the toughness feat, things like that to boost that. Yeah, I definitely didn't even- expect it to go as high as a regular caster because they even re- reduce their stress just with a half an hour rest. So they have the ability to recharge it. I was really wondering just how it compared. And that, that's fantastic. I love that it comes out at about that level 31 versus the 88 because of their short rest recharge ability and the ability to tune their own hit points. That is really groovy. I've always felt that is the missing element for the warlock for me. Like the ability to beg, borrow, and steal from your own essence to carry on with the mission for your for your patron power. I'm fully on board with the fact that the lesser number of things that they do and all of that, but it seems to me what it's missing is that ability to sacrifice, which in theory is part of the narrative, but it is certainly not part of the mechanic. <laughs> and I think that would be an interesting way if you were to, if Theorycraft, uh, among content creators, if we were to rebuild what the Warlock looked like, taking something like this mechanic and applying it to the Warlock would be definitely the way to go. Yeah, I mentioned before, I played I played in high school and through college in the, the 80s and, and early 90s. And so what I played was first and second edition. Yeah. And then I left the game for a long period of time. And I basically, I missed third and fourth editions and came back just after the start of fifth and looking at fifth. And I saw the warlock and I looked through it and thought, why was this not a constitution based? Why did we need another charisma based caster when there was already one, two or three of them? Yeah. Yeah. And, and so it, it did, it made no sense to me at that point. And that was where I think I probably started even then thinking about this, yeah. <laughs> the ways to make this happen. So I've cool. always felt that sorcerers should probably be constitution based because if it's, inherent in their blood and their makeup charisma doesn't have anything to do with that if you're right. thinking about why, the why would you have to have good personality to be able to be a sorcerer it just doesn't make sense yeah it, mechanically it is what it is maybe that in a world where one of the two of them should be constitution maybe not both but yeah. one or the other needs to be a constitution. Yeah, and the, the sorcerer thing is not about having a good personality. It's about having that the magical nature as opposed to in charisma, like the best option. I don't know. Yeah, although constitution would be pretty great, I think. But that's right. seemed like the pendulum kind of swung. I noticed, like I said, coming back from it from starting in first and second edition, charisma was always your dump stat. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Unless you wanted to try to play a paladin, that was always your dump stat. And then now you have the swing where we all of these classes are using charisma and, and everything else. I just I thought it was interesting to, to see that pendulum swing. Yeah. 
All right, I finally get my round two question, and that's probably our qu- last question for the night. So after I'm done here, uh, we'll have you talk about the um, where to find the Kickstarter and go for that. The question that I wanted to ask, and it's, I was really happy to hear you mention Star Wars a couple times in that last answer, because that was one thing that struck me about the material that you sent over, is that it felt like Star Wars. It felt like a bunch of different things to me. It felt like Star Wars. It felt a lot like Blade Runner. I saw a lot of Blade Runner in there. And so I wanted to get from you- Totally see Blade Runner. Right? Yeah. Yeah. What I wanted to get from you is, I, I saw all these influences in there, but what do you think are the influences that are really in the DNA of the Eye of Everywhere? What are the things that really that you tried to draw from to go ahead and bring this bring this some degree of familiarity or even uh, some factor of coolness yeah d all of the above exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it really again my love of all of this stuff is what i want to shine through and that that's what and i that's what i love star trek i love star wars the fact that we can make a superhero movie now with the technology we have that it actually looks real and everything else just i love that and and honestly dnd and pathfinder characters once they get past 10th 12th level that's what they are essentially as superheroes if you really think about it even traditional fantasy and and all that stuff i it's all things that i love and I, i wanted to have in my game and have the players be able to live out those fantasies together if joe over here wants to play uh, conan the barbarian and sally over here wants to be a like you said earlier then a, a space marine from maybe from alien or something like that though let's bring all that stuff together man and let's go let's do it let's have Let's have the wizard who wants to go to the hind end of space and do have an alien bug hunt, or let's have the let's have the computer hacker who likes to play with knives go visit the wizard tower and rescue a fae prince. It's let's do all of it. Let's do all of it together. Yeah, nice. I love that. I love that. And again, Absolutely. it's so many shades of like the great things that we have been able to go ahead and review. Like we've been playing a bunch of Star Trek adventures lately on the channel, just because it's a fantastic system. It's a lot of fun. And it, but what it does more than anything else is really the mechanics really support the narrative flow. And that's what I'm hearing a lot from this too, is that the things like the faction die and stuff like that, that's really there in place to go ahead and support telling these awesome stories that you want to go ahead and tell with all these various factions and everything going together. And share. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I almost made a Ferengi comment about the commerce faction earlier. Yeah. But <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Alan, this has been fantastic. Thank you so very much for taking some time tonight to talk us through this. How can our listeners find your Kickstarter so that they can go ahead and support this fantastic product? Yeah, just get online. I'll, I will be spamming all the socials <laughs> as much as I can. As one um, does with the Kickstarter, yes. As one does. <laughs> uh, but if you get on Kickstarter and just search Eye of Everywhere, it should pop up. And awesome. you can give it yeah, give it a pledge. We will have, as we've talked about before, there are both full versions for 5e and Pathfinder. These will be separate books. And you can, if you want to only get the player's guide, which will have the, the all the classes and the species and, and ancestries and all of that stuff, spells, etc. in there, you can do that either in PDF or print. 
or if you just want the Game Master's Guide, which will have more of the setting information, the monsters, the, the other goodies that will have probably some, at least one adventure, etc. in there. You can do that in again in PDF and print. And then we will have options to get both at a discount in the Kickstarter, either just PDF or in anytime you get print, you'll also get the PDF as well for free. So. Cool. Awesome. Excellent. Next week, we have got the production crew from the movie that's on Amazon Prime, The Secrets of Blackmore. Uh, it's all about the early days of D&D and how it was constructed. It's a fantastic movie. If you haven't watched it yet, first of all, you really need to watch Secrets of Blackmore before you listen to our episode because the episode is going to be just full of spoilers. So you want to make sure you go ahead and watch that ahead of time. But that's going to be a fantastic interview. We've got the production crew from the movie coming on. So it'll be a good time. Alan, thank you so very much for, for uh, coming on and uh, checking this out tonight. So everyone go out there, check out The Eye of Everywhere on Kickstarter. And while you're at it, check out The Traveler's Guide to Factions on Kickstarter also. Uh, make sure you back them both. We'll make sure send this out to our backers and, and make sure and put the link in, the, in our show notes so that people can uh, click down below and, and get, get in contact there. Thank you everybody out there for listening. Hope that you appreciated it. There is some Patreon exclusive content to this episode. So if you are interested, make sure you go ahead and go to www.patreon.com slash ttjourneys. Join up there, help support the show, and get some fantastic exclusive content. And we'll be back next week talking about Secrets of Blackmore. Until then, have a good night, everybody. Good night, all. Thank you for joining us. This has been Tabletop Journeys. We would love to hear your feedback on our show today. Join us at www.ttjourneys.com, where you can subscribe to the blog to leave comments and see all the content that we publish beyond the podcast. You can also stay in touch by subscribing to our Twitter, Tumblr, or Instagram at TT Journeys, joining our Facebook group, Tabletop Journeys, or by sending an email directly to podcast at ttjourneys.com. Our full episodes come out every week on Friday, and every Tuesday features actual play and gameplay showcase episodes. Looking for early access? You can support the show and get episodes before everyone else at www.patreon.com forward slash TT Journeys. Check it out today and see all the awesome benefits we bring to our supporters. Lastly, if you're listening to us on Stitcher, iTunes, Podchaser, Spotify, or Audible, you would really appreciate it if you would like and subscribe to the podcast on that platform. Thank you for listening and for being a part of our growing community. And we bid you fair tides, friends, for Legends Awake.